For the Athletic Podcast Network, this is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to ESPN college football analyst Rod Gilmore about the CFP National Championship, Alabama and Ohio State. Now, if I was going to tell you to pick your four college football playoff teams before the season, you probably would have come up with the four that ended up in the CFP. Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State. That's about who gets in every single year. Now, oftentimes it's proven correct that the best teams are the teams playing on that final Monday night of the season. Remains to be seen this year, but there are a lot of people and a lot of teams like Coastal Carolina and Cincinnati who felt like they might have gotten the hose a little bit this year when it came to who the top teams were in all of college football. The landscape could be changing. It's all stuff we can talk about with Rod Gilmore, who joins me next. It's Monday, January 11th. It's my pleasure now to welcome in Rod Gilmore, not just because he's one of the best ESPN college football talkers out there, but because he's an East Bay guy like me. Rod, last time I had John was right at the start of the season. We were kind of mapping out the landscape for college football. It's great to have you back on the update. And did you think this is where we'd be, man? Did you think we were going to finish the season? And maybe more importantly, did you think we were going to have a championship game between a 12-win team and a 7-win team? How you doing, Rod? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. And we're, we're not there yet. You know? <laughs> I'm pleased that we've gotten this far. Back when we last spoke, um, it didn't seem like it was really likely, but things have worked out, and you just really have to tip your hat to the players and the sacrifices they've made, everything they've gone through to get this season in. And I don't think the public really understands how tough it's been for the players. I've talked to many of them, and it's been a challenge for them to get through this. So kudos to them i was thinking the same thing like in the nfl i think fans you know everybody obsesses over it you got your fantasy and your your pick em pools and all that stuff and we kind of write it off because these are professional athletes i think we totally overlook what it's taken for college athletes to get on the football field this year and because they're not in the classroom in every one of these schools they're dealing with these covid19 situations they've been pulled away from their families i did not anticipate we were going to be able to finish the season and that some of these other conferences we're going to get up and running in the capacity that they did. Now, when it comes to the landscape of college football, what did you think about the imbalance of schedules, the fact that Ohio State is 7-0, and that the Big Ten had to change their model for a conference championship? Is it a little funky to you, or is it just another form of 2020, man? It's really funky. I'm okay with people being flexible in this season, but I think this season revealed that we do have an issue, a major issue with how we do our postseason and I think the college football playoff committee revealed its bias this year. I mean, we had the four teams, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Alabama, with the first release in the top four, and it never changed. Now, their positions changed, but it never changed. And we saw one week in which two lost teams like Georgia, Florida, moved ahead of undefeated teams like Coastal Carolina. It was just bizarre. So... We've had seven years, 28 playoff spots, and 22 of those spots have been dominated by Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, and Notre Dame. So it's not very egalitarian. I know that a lot of folks are getting frustrated with it, and the committee had an opportunity this year to say, look, there's no fair way to compare a seven-win team to a 12-win team. You, You can't do it. This is the year to say, look, Let's expand it to six. Let's expand it to eight. Let's have some flexibility this year. We didn't get that. And just trying the same rules just revealed that there is a huge, huge preference for the Blue Bloods. And it's uh, only starting to increase the gap between those five, six teams and everyone else in college football. 
Well, what's sort of funny about that is when the CFP started seven years ago, as you said, we had to sort of get the bearings for it, right? We were so stuck in the BCS system that it actually changed the landscape of college football to a tune of conference championship games, right? Like you had the split in the Pac-12, of course, the North and the South. But I remember there was a year where the Big 12 wanted to crown co-champions. I think it was Baylor and was it Iowa? uh, Who was it? I can't remember. The Cyclones, maybe? TCU and Baylor. TCU and Baylor. And then they said, well, you can't go co-champions. Nobody's going to get in at at one loss or or, uh, even though you've tied atop the conference. So now you need a conference championship. And then we've seen now teams like Alabama in the past didn't even need to play in their championship game and they got in. So from your perspective, what do you think the best layout is for this thing going forward, if it was your call? Well, I think we need to have at least six, you know, probably eight. I think we figured out this year that, you know, we can schedule games on short notice. Uh, Mm -hmm. that, That was something that was a rule that, hey, you can't possibly do it. I think the other thing that we found this year, given that online classes have become more predominant for students, players as well. I remember Justin Fields telling me last year that he didn't have an in-person class last season before the pandemic. So, you know, it's been trending that way. So, you know, we can play games the first two weeks of December. We found that out this year. And it's always been an issue of, well, you don't want to mess with the academic calendar. Those are weeks that are either dead week or finals weeks. Well, that's changing. We played that this year. We got through that. So you can move things up. You can move bowl games up. You can start a playoff a little earlier. One of the other intriguing ideas that my colleague and friend Reese Davis suggested was, look, Let's uh, move things up a little bit, and let's pick the final four after bowl games. That way, those bowl games become relevant. That's what we need, something like that. So I'd be okay with any of those things, but we have to break through this cycle where there are only five or six teams that have a legitimate chance each and every year because it it feeds into the recruiting. The elite players only want to go to those teams that are going to be in the playoff, and they get all the talent. And it just kind of repeats itself year after year and becomes a problem. So we we won't have opportunities for anyone outside of those five to six teams if we don't make some sort of a change. And we need the postseason interest. And we're losing too many players who go, you know, I'm opting out of this. Uh, It's not worth it for me. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. It's funny you mentioned the, how the recruiting is affected by that because it's such a snowball effect, right? Like I think back, I think it was last year maybe, I saw an interview with Colin Coward and Urban Meyer and he was talking to him about Joe Burrow and he was saying, how did you let Joe Burrow get out of the state of Ohio? And he says, well, we had him and then he transferred to LSU. I think the same thing about us here in the Bay Area. You know, uh, Najee Harris was right here in our backyard. He was in Antioch and he's going out to play for Alabama because if you want a shot at the national stage and at a national championship, to your point, you got to play for one of those teams. It's a huge problem for the West Coast, for the Pac-12. You know, Najee Harris was a natural to wind up somewhere in the Pac-12. You know, if not Cal, USC, UCLA, just seemed like a natural. But that didn't happen. Tua Tonga-Vailoa from Hawaii goes all the way to Alabama. <laughs> you know, it, it makes no sense. How can a West Coast team not convince him to stay? And it's the problem because, you know, the national exposure, playing in the postseason, playing in those playoff games – those things, you know, really, really matter. And until the Pac-12 can make that sort of a case, we're going to keep losing that talent that's out in the West to, you know, the Big Ten, the the Big 12, you know, Oklahoma's starting quarterback. It's from Arizona, you know. <laughs> These guys, you know, are going where they get the exposure and they get the opportunity. And that gap has to get closed. And so if the Pac-12 can't get into the playoff with uh, a four-team setup, 
they should be fighting like crazy for six or eighteen playoffs and get a chance to get in there and to try and keep some of these great players at home because right now they're fleeing the Pac-12. So funny. Did you think about the culture shock for Tua, man? He's going from eating like poke bowls <laughs> to like chicken fried steak, right? Like it's a totally yeah, different situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He had to teach some of his friends about some of um, his favorite foods because they had no experience with food from Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet it's completely different. In thinking about the national championship, Alabama, Ohio State, we're here. These appear to be the two best teams, at least on paper, coming into this game. What do you make of the matchup and what do you make of, uh, of Devontae Smith and Mac Jones? I mean, by all accounts, this should be a game that Alabama has the upper hand in there. The favorites coming in, but Justin Fields coming off of maybe the best game of the season for him. Well, I just got a, uh, a nice little note from our research department at ESPN that just sort of blew me away. So there have been nine championship games where a team has been a seven-point or more underdog. Okay. And the record has been two and seven. Underdogs winning only two. The underdog that won those two? Ohio State. Yeah, right. <laughs> Go figure. So, I mean, I think uh, this is a great matchup. I think it's um, heavily offensive in that sense that both teams have the ability to score, and I expect it to be a high-scoring game. And the problem that you face with Alabama is that they are so loaded. There's so much that they do to you offensively. The best approach in defending them, you know, you can't blitz Mac Jones because – his QBR rating is higher versus the blitz. They either pick it up or he gets the ball out quickly to the perimeter. And if you play man coverage behind it, well, Devontae Smith is gone. You know, yeah. it's a touchdown. You know, or John Metti runs past somebody. So you can't play man. So Notre Dame tried to do a little combo. They tried to blitz but play zone coverage behind it. It didn't work very well. It took Alabama a little bit longer to score. They didn't get as many big plays. But in the end, when you do that, you still have Devontae Smith one-on-one when he catches the ball with one of your corners or your safety. And if you can't make that tackle, he's off to the races. So Notre Dame found out that that's not an ideal way, but it's preferable to drop seven, drop eight defenders, and make them complete the pass and try to go up and tackle them than to try to cover them one-on-one because no one has done it all year long. So I think that's a huge issue for Ohio State defensively. Najee Harris, the thing that sets him apart, I think, is the fact that he catches the ball out of the backfield, and he's also great in pass protection. So he's a little bit more versatile, I would say, than Trey Sermon. But Sermon is sort of a bell cow. He's a guy that you can give the ball to 25, you know, 30 times in the game. And if, if things are going and he's hot, Ohio State will be fine. Their offensive line is a lot better than people realize. And, you know, their favorite play is that wide zone or that stretch play. And Sermon reads it very well. He's got great vision. I expect them to run that. I expect them to have success with it. I think this is going to be a game where teams score. And the question really is, can Ohio State keep up? with Alabama scoring. At least that's the view in, in my mind. You know, we think of Alabama and this Nick Saban era, such a defensive team. And I was looking at, I think you might have even retweeted it. I know Emmanuel Acho had put this out that Devontae Smith wins the Heisman, but last year on this roster, Jerry Judy, who won the Bolitnikoff, you got Henry right. Ruggs, who was the 12th <laughs> overall pick, and Jalen Waddles, a projected first-rounder. Devontae Smith yeah. this year wins the Heisman. He sweeps the Bolitnikoff and the Maxwell. I mean, he's going to go down as one of the greatest college receivers, at least season-wise this year ever, I think. And if Jalen Waddle had not gotten hurt, he might have won the Heisman this year. <laughs> right, right. He, he, and, I mean, that's what we're talking about. I mean, this team is loaded. Now, Waddle is um, projected to come back in this game, likely to play a little bit. 
if I'm Ohio State, I'd be more concerned about Devontae Smith than Jalen Waddle, simply because I, I just don't think with the layoff of eight weeks, nine weeks, and a broken ankle that he's going to be in football shape to give them 40 plays, 50 plays. He may be able to give them more you know, with kick returns in that area on special teams. But if, if it were me, my poison would be, listen, let's double Devontae Smith, and if we lose to Jalen Waddle in his first game back after two months, so be it. You know, <laughs> that's what, the way I would look at it. And then there's Justin Fields. I mean, how healthy is he with the ribs? Clearly, he's going to have to take a pain-killing shot to be out there. You don't get over ribs in a week or 10 days like that. I would imagine that Ohio State will run him less in this game, and that's a little bit of a problem for them. How much can he handle? How much can he take? And, you know, if they're close and it's uh, third quarter, fourth quarter, that's the time when I would expect that he'd say, look, run me now. (laughs) It's worth it now at this point in the game. Rod, you're the best, man. I, I always appreciate your time when you can check in with us talking college football. Uh, you're one of my favorites here, and of course, you're out in the, in the East Bay, like where I'm from, so I love talking college football with you, man. Enjoy the game Monday night, and we'll uh, catch up with you down the road, Rod. Well, I love being on, so anytime, please have me, and hey, let's keep this East Bay thing rolling. Always a great breakdown from Rod Gilmore. Love talking college football with him, of course. The Stanford grad. He also went to, uh, I think he went to law school over at Cal Berkeley, which is funny. A dude who's got Cal and Stanford roots. So I think he, he finds himself a little more acquainted with Stanford football. And talking about Justin Fields saying he didn't have an in-person class last year even, I don't think that was flying when Rod Gilmore was at Stanford. Thank you to Rod. Thank you to Brian. And thank you to you, the listener. We appreciate you checking in. I was so happy we could do a little hit on the CFP National Championship. Coming up this week, we've got more to discuss as far as the NFL playoffs are concerned. Wild card round is done. we got to get into the divisional weekend, which is coming up. And then, of course, some Giants baseball talk about what they're going to do this free agent offseason. Now, you've got trades going down left and right. The Padres are building the powerhouse. What are the Giants going to do? We'll talk a little NFL as well as some baseball as we get through the next Next couple of weeks. Everybody enjoy the week. We'll be back with you on Wednesday.